Welcome to Elementary Talks, a podcast that connects marketing, design, and development experts to help you build better websites. My guest today is one of the most prominent figures in the WordPress community. Miriam Schwab is the founder and CEO of Stratic, a serverless security solution, as well as the CEO of the development agency Illuminea. Miriam is also a regular WordCamp speaker, prominent influencer and entrepreneur, and let's not forget mother of seven children. In our interview, we talk about the challenges of balancing her career and family life, positioning her company through pricing, and why putting so much effort into organizing WordCamps was worth her while. So today, I have the privilege to be interviewing Miriam Schwab of Stratic. Miriam, thanks for de- being uh, in this podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you're a really prominent figure in uh, WordPress. So I want to uh, go back and ask you how it all got started and share your uh, insights. Okay. Um, you mean like how did I end up being in, kind of a prominent in, in, figure yeah, in the exactly. community? So, I mean, it all started in the beginning when I started to work with WordPress. And um, that was... Pretty early on in terms of uh, where the platform was at, I became interested in WordPress when it was still just for blogging. Um, custom post types were not yet a thing that had been implemented. Version 3 had not been released. Uh, but I just... That was 2007? So 2006, 2007, something like that. Um, I started to really like explore working with it uh, for many reasons. I just, you know, I had started to tried to offer website building to clients and I felt like they needed a content management system and I started to test out and explore the available options out there. Basically, the options at that time were divided into two. I guess they are still today. Proprietary uh, content management systems uh, that are were expensive and complicated to implement and the open source ones. And they were, were and still are basically WordPress, Joomla, and Drupal. And I just really liked WordPress's structure. I thought it had a lot of potential. And at that time, also the whole concept of blogging and how it's an important thing for, for business and for marketing, that was starting to catch on. It was still something at that time that you had to convince people was a good idea and explain what it was. Because also the word blog is weird. People were like, what is that weird thing? Um, but I just saw a lot of potential there. So I started to offer it as a service, um, building WordPress blogs for blogs. companies. Yeah, it was just blogs at that point. We, I did end up building like a, like a website. Because there were workarounds that allowed you to create a homepage. Um, and I did manage to have like one or two clients that were convinced that that was okay. So you were a, a solopreneur? You were the... Yeah, at that time. Like... Yeah, I, um, after I had my fourth kid, I felt like I needed to be independent. I needed more flexibility and I needed to the opportunity to learn more, um, have more impact kind of thing. There were many reasons going on in my head that I chose to go out on my own. And um, at first, I was just providing content writing, like marketing writing, copywriting uh, services, and translation from Hebrew to English. But then uh, I always loved technology, and I felt like it's not enough to just write the content. It needs to be somewhere, and online is where it needs to be. How is that going to happen? Websites, how can I get involved in that side of things? That was much more exciting to me than just writing the content. so, yeah, so it was on, me on my own at that point. Um, and actually, one of the first blogs that I built for a client was a pretty big Israeli tech company at that time. And that was very exciting for me. Then version 3 came out. Then I had my fifth kid. Then I made a, my first hire. And things 
just kind of progressed from there, and we built bigger and better sites over the years. How did you learn to develop websites on your own? Or, uh... Yeah, so I, I'm self-taught. I Googled. <laughs> and what's nice about uh, being involved in an open source community is that there's a very big component of people helping other people. So other people wrote posts and tutorials explaining how they did things or things that they learned. And then I, you know, almost any time I hit some kind of snag or issue, someone had written a solution somewhere. And that actually leads into your question about how did I manage to get into position of whatever one want to call it. <laughs> um, because other people's posts had helped me so much, I started a blog called WP Garage where I would started to write everything I learned. Anything I learned that was new about WordPress and was useful to me, I wrote it up. And Just documentation and uh, documented your uh, journey and experience. Exactly. So a lot of it was technical, sometimes thoughts, um, you know, and ideas. But just, okay, like we were, so, and then I hired uh, someone named Rebecca, and she's still working with me till today. Um, and so the two of us would write posts, and the titles would be something like, how to resolve this error on this page, because it's something that many people would encounter. And then they would search for it, and they would find our tutorials. And it would help them. Um, and the readership on that blog grew a lot. Um, and we started to become known th through that. So um, that was helpful. And in Israel, because I got into the WordPress space early, as companies started to look for suppliers, people to build their sites, there was a lot of word of mouth recommendation for, for me and, and my company, um, which really helped. And your, your niche, I would say, was more developer-oriented, right? Yeah. So in the beginning, I learned a lot over the years of running that that agency. Um, at I at first thought we must be full service. Who would want a web development agency that doesn't provide design? So we provided design. And it was never our strong point, so we didn't do it well. And really what I mean when I say we didn't do it well is in any services business, it's not so much if you can actually like create a beautiful design, let's say, or develop a good site. It's can you manage the project? To its completion and keep the client happy. <laughs> yeah, and the maintenance afterwards and yeah. everything else. And yeah. with design, unlike development, design is very emotional and in some ways subjective. So you talk to the client about what they want for design and then you implement what you think they want and then they don't like the shade of blue or they don't like whatever. And we didn't know how to manage our expectations and get the design part of the project to completion and that would make the projects go on much longer and it was just, it was not good. So at a certain point, I made the decision that we're cutting design out and hopefully it will work out okay. <laughs> and it <laughs> okay. actually did because we were working with clients that were big enough that they either had in-house designers or they worked with an, uh, an external agency, a designer branding agency, but they worked very closely with them. And these companies cared a lot about their branding and their visuals. And so it made sense for them to work with the, the companies or the individuals in their team who were very, very familiar with their branding um, and then could bring that into the design and then it was exactly as they wanted it and then we would take the design and we would turn it into uh, a WordPress website um, and what we brought to the table on that end of things was that um, you know high quality code high quality service throughout that side of the project to the end uh, QA which is funny but of course you would think there has to be QA but a lot of Uh, suppliers kind of just throw sites in the air and then they're like, good luck. <laughs> so we made sure actually everything was worked. We tweaked everything, fixed everything. And then after that, also the maintenance and service. And, and that's why our clients like this. 
Um, we're we talking about around 2008, right? 2009? So I, so I, I made my first tire um, right before I gave birth to my daughter who's about to have her bat mitzvah. <laughs> so it was 12 <laughs> years ago. Um, and Illuminaya actually still exists. Um, it continued to function um, and provide services more than function. And it was a good company. And it was actually just acquired by Canadian Web Development Agency. So it's the company is still providing services. It's being managed by someone named Aviva. We did like a, a overlapping transition. So mm-hmm. she started to work in the company while, while I was still there to some extent. I phased out. She phased in. They acquired it. That's, that's the story. Now, now, I have to say, you've built all of this with seven kids. Yes. <laughs> I didn't always have seven kids, but yes. I, Along the way. Yeah. I started out when, like, basically on my own after kid number four. Kid number five made my first hire, six and seven, and yeah. So I, I know a lot of, of uh, like, I know my wife, that, that's the, the idea. There's something about doing things as a freelancer and managing your own company that takes a lot. And you need to, to find the right balance in order to, to make it because it's not like being an employee that you work nine to five, then drop your pen and go home. Right. So how do, you ma- how do you balance this time management and everything? Yeah. So first of all, I think uh, the idea that there is balance is misleading. There's never balance. <laughs> There's always something that gets more attention than the other thing. Um, I can't say that I ever achieved some kind of great balance. Um, but Maybe focus is the, a better word? So, what I, so yeah. So I, I learned... to be efficient. Um, and I also learned that I needed to have a team, meaning I w- would become a bottleneck in the company if it was dependent on me. So at a certain point, I actually stopped working on projects. I only did the business development, marketing, you know, and management of the company, um, staying up to date on technologies and also like on the strategic level um, for, for the technology side of things. But um, I stopped being hands-on, which was kind of sad for me, but... It had to be that way because my team was more available than I was. I, you know, babies and you know how it is. Every second yeah. day someone's sick in the winter and there's all these like events at their kindergarten. And I just, I needed to be, and sometimes I didn't sleep at night and then the next day I couldn't function. Like, so I needed that. I, I set myself up so that that was okay. Like it wasn't always okay. There were opportunities that I missed because mm-hmm. of that. Um, you know, sometimes... Uh, there were a lot of proposals that I didn't get out in time. But it was what it was. Like, I think often uh, we, as people, but also I think um, women, we think that if we're not doing everything perfectly, then we're failing. And so we won't necessarily try. And it's okay to not be doing things perfectly, in my opinion. Like, both sides of my life were very important to me. The, the family side, the, chil- the children's side. Um, and my professional side. So I knew I needed to do both of them, and I needed to figure out how to do them both as well as I could. And that's what I aimed for, to do it as well as I could. And it wasn't perfect. You know, I would have laundry on the couch that I didn't manage to put away, and dinner was often omelets or, you know, corn schnitzel or vegetable, like veggie patties or whatever. Like, you know, but that was okay. It was okay. Um, yeah, and it got me through all those years. And... Was it hard also to delegate all those tasks, like doing the quality assurance of your team, knowing that because you, you have to hire new people who you don't know and you need to make sure that they're 
you know, the same level as you did or maybe better. So yeah, how do you do so that? That, um, it was hard for me to, to start to delegate things. I controlled a lot. But Rebecca, who's been working with me all these years, she's amazing. And she took over more and more and more. And then she also could then manage other team members and make sure that the quality was the level that we wanted. But at one point, I did grow the company too much. I, we had a lot of business coming in. And uh, I thought, well, in order to be a successful company, then we must grow. And I hired. We became a team of seven or eight. It was too big. That was a big mistake. I even hired an SEO person because people wanted SEO services. And I thought, here, we can really be full service. We mm, can provide yeah. all the services. We'll have design. We'll have this. And in order to maintain that, you have to ramp up your business development activities. And I wasn't able to do that just because of my personal situation. Like, that would have just taken over my life. Um, and in the end, I, I had to let people go. And then we became a very tight core team with a very tight focus. And that was something that I learned. Mm -hmm. And I think it applied to me and us because, because I'm actively a mom. But um, I think it's important for people to focus in many ways. And, and it has to do with, okay, what, what are you really, really good at doing? That's probably the only thing you should be doing, like the offering as a service. Because anything else, it will be a, a failure. What's a, what is a failure? The client's not happy. They don't want to recommend you. They don't want to pay the final payment because they're not satisfied. Like, it's just... It was, it was not worth it. And, yeah. and focus the team to just like really great people. Um, and then that worked. But, I, you know, that was a painful lesson. So um, following that, did you focus on specific uh, type of uh, websites? Oh, yeah. That's a really good question. Yes, also that. So we, the way we focused in terms of the type of website that we built was through pricing. So our pricing in the Israeli market was relatively high. We would sometimes be double and even triple the price of competing proposals on projects. But you already had um, big customers, clients exactly. to and showcase. Often people will take the easy route of undercutting prices to win projects. Yeah. And they think that's what people want. And they don't. We lost a lot of projects because of our pricing. But we won the projects that we wanted. And that meant that the, they were interested in quality. They had come to us usually through word of mouth, and so they trusted us, and um, they wanted good results. Sometimes they had been hurt by other providers yeah. who didn't do a good it's job. It's like a positive circle because you get more money to, to spend on, on other projects, you get more time, and then you can improve exactly. your service. Like What I realized also is if we don't charge these prices, we can't give the high level of service. It's not like... You know, we were like this super rich company and we were taking people for a ride. No, it was like, if you want the results that we think you should have and you want, you want a site that's pixel perfect, that is performant, like, you know, that's not slow and sluggish, um, that we've planned it really well with you so that it achieves your goals, that we support you through it and take you to the end, et cetera, et cetera. It takes time and time is money. Uh, and that's just Do you have a, a prepared answer for, hey, this company offers it half price. Why should I choose you? It was, yeah, this is our pricing. Seriously, this is what it was. <laughs> this is our pricing, and uh, we, we charge what we do so that we can provide a high level of, of service and results. And um, if you want, you can talk to some of our clients. We can send you references. But we, I, would, I would say I totally understand if this pricing doesn't suit you. And clients that would come in, and I, 
So that so those types of clients were generally like let's say medium to large sized Israeli companies or organizations. Tech companies. Tech or? and also nonprofits. We had people think nonprofits are bad clients, but we had there are cli- there are nonprofits that are very professional and they want to do things right. Their websites are important to them because they um, generate donations through it, um, and they don't want to look silly to the press when they get press. And so they were willing to invest the prices that we charged. Um, but if someone came in who was like a solopreneur or like just let's say a very early stage startup that hadn't raised funding, I would say to them, you don't you don't actually it actually would be a bad idea to invest the money with us right now, because also especially if it's an entity that's setting up their first site, they're going to learn from that first site. That first site should not be the one that they invest in. They should put something in the air. It's not perfect. See how people use it. Also, generally, their offering or their product will evolve. And pivot or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So it won't reflect it anymore. So, so start with something simple and inexpensive. And then let that run. Look at your analytics. Look at how people use it. Learn what your users want. And then when you're ready, really, then come to us and with pleasure we'll work with you. Entrance of um, tools like page builders or Elementor, for instance, did they have any impact on that, on this process? So... We tested page builders along the way because one a big pain point was that we would build a site for our client. And part of our goal was to make this site as editable and manageable for the client as possible so that they can do almost whatever they want without having to come back to us. So page builders seemed to hold that promise where we could set something up for them and then theoretically they could, you know, drag things around and change things around and easily set up other pages and it would all be fine. Um, before Elementor, we would test the other ones and they would slow the site down or they were crazy to use, like crazy. They create these crazy structures in the editor where you can't actually see what it is and you have to click through. And it became, that was too hard to teach our clients. It reduced the simplicity of managing the site actually in many ways. And of course it made it slower. So, um, before we handed over Illuminea to the Canadian development agency, we did not use page builders. We used advanced custom fields. Um, and that gave the clients and as enough flexibility that everyone was happy, but without giving, I would say with, uh, great, uh, what is it? With great power, freedom comes great, comes great power, yeah. whatever. But it also means that clients can break things. Yeah. So we also, on the one hand, Yes, you can edit this. But on the other hand, no, you cannot change the font. <laughs> no, you cannot change the color because clients don't always have an eye for design and then the page looks horrible. So advanced custom fields allowed us to offer that to them, but not too much to them. Limit so, their freedom. Yeah. So, but I have to say that the Canadian Web Development Agency does love Elementor and they are using it for building the sites for the clients and they're using it successfully. Mm-hmm. So that's good. So in all that hectic uh, work and you know family balance you managed to also create a word camp in Israel five five work word camps wow. in Israel so <laughs> so how why and okay. <laughs> run us through so this also um, brings us back to your first question I there had someone else had organized I think it was two word camps in Tel Aviv and um, his name is Tal Galili And he, I don't even think he's so involved in WordPress anymore or at all. He was one of the translators, am I right? No, I don't think so. 
Maybe he did some translation. I think you're thinking of... Uh, ben something? I, yeah, I can't remember his name now. Oh, that was, was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was he really prominent, up, then disappeared. Disappeared. Yeah, people come and just disappear. Anyways, so Tal uh, organized it. I spoke at one or both, I can't remember. And then it was very exciting because I had chosen to be a WordPress whatever. And now in Israel, they're having the official WordPress conference. I was so excited about it. And... He did too, and then he just, he, he didn't do the third, and nobody else was picking it up. And actually, Rebecca said to me, we should organize it. And I was like, really? It seemed like presumptuous, and who am I? Uh, whatever. Anyways, we did. I don't remember exactly what the process was at that point. It's become much more official. Now you apply, and there's a whole thing. I think we just wrote to someone and said we want to do a work camp, and they were like, okay. <laughs> so we did, um, and it was great, because... There wasn't really anything else for the WordPress community at that time. And people were really excited about it. And it was really great for us. And that was also a good way to position myself and the company in some way as, like, community leaders in Israel. And then we did four more. <laughs> and I, th I think there's something that is not exactly analytical uh, on doing this. Like, the way the community evolves is something really that l resembles a family or some sort of... It's not like... You, you run a, a WordCamp and then all the guests of the WordCamp are your potential clients. It's not, not a typical all. conference right. where it's like that. So I kind of understand how it works, but I'm interested is, to hearing your, your perspective on this. So one of the, the things that suits me about being in the WordPress community is that um, I, I like to be friends with people. <laughs> like I like to know people and, um, yeah, hang out with them and talk to them. I So... WordPress, the world of WordPress is not one of aggressive sales and business development and all that. So I could be me, you know. I Throughout my career, I've had to deliberate, because you have this perspective of, okay, if you're a business person, which eventually I had to admit I am, <laughs> I, I'm supposed to look a certain way, right? Um, I am an observant Jew. I'm religious, so I cover my hair because I'm married. And at one point, I deliberated should I wear a wig because then it's not as obvious and I don't look as weird and different I kept the headscarf on and, and in the world of WordPress that's totally fine because people also have green hair you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. like whatever this is not so crazy and um we thought I'm oh, just another hipster right. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. people yeah. just think it's another hipster thing and that works great nobody could care less <laughs> Um, and, you know, I don't have to be the business person with the heels and the suit, and I can just be who I am. And um, so that worked. Now, is it a, it's not exactly a strategy. I organized the WordCamps. I liked meeting the people who came. I liked being with all the people. I liked the opportunity of learning from other people. Um, and then I just kept doing that. I know that sounds weird, but that's always been my approach to... I guess growing my network or something. I don't know. Just meeting people because they're they're nice and interesting, and uh, you never think, know where things are going to come from. I think it's something that is hard to to describe, but it's like if you have a network, but the whole network is of people who are, I would say, just stereotypical greedy. Then the network isn't worth worth as much. That's but true. if the network is like WordPress, which is already with all the idea of democratizing content and everything, then the likelihood that that network would, would, will be worth more than the sum of its parts is m much more viable. Yeah, so. I think I, that's a good way of putting it. Um, someone I know who joined the WordPress community, but from like the standard 
like a business background. First, he couldn't understand how you go to work camp and you have five hosting companies and they're all schmoozing with each other, yeah. right? And they're just hanging out at each other's booths yeah. because they should be cutthroat competitors. And of course, there is the competitiveness. But I think everyone understands also the WordPress is so huge. It's, right, it's, we're talking about 30%, more than 30% of the internet. No other platform comes close. There's like a really big pie here. And there's enough to go around for everybody. At least that's my perspective. And so rather than feeling threatened by competition or not being able to be friendly with competition, there, there is room for collaboration. And, and you see that. They do collaborate with each other. There's, there's two very well-known um, WordPress development agencies. Uh, I'm not going to say who they are because I, I don't know if I can. But um, when, one, when an employee of one gets hired by the other one, they call them alumni. Like, they don't say, they don't view it as like, a, you abandoned us, how a could you, you traitor. No, they like, you are now an alumni of our company. Oh, wow. Because now you're working at the second company. I was so confused. I was like, wait, levels. what are you saying? It's like, <laughs> it's like levels. Yeah, but it's interesting because like, they, they don't cut off the connection. They're not like, you left us and that's it. No. You have a history with us. You are now one of our alumni. I was, I was. That's something you couldn't amazed. predict. I think if you're a social scientist or whatever. Right. You've recently been to the latest uh, WordCamp US. Was that your first uh, US WordCamp? Yeah, I. Again, because of kids, um, it was always too hard for me to go to the states for WordCamp. It's just it takes more time. Like. Yeah. You have to add one day on either end of the trip for travel, and um, then there was jet lag. And uh, when they started having, and I always had like a bit of FOMO about that. Before it became WordCamp US, it was WordCamp uh, Philadelphia or something. I don't remember. It was always in one place. But I always had FOMO, and I, I really wanted to go. I felt like that's where everyone was hanging out. And then when they started doing WordCamp Europe, I was so excited because it was much closer. Close. Yeah. And um, the first WordCamp Europe was in a place called Leiden in, in Holland. Yeah. So someone from uh, the WordCamp team encouraged me to apply to speak. She said, uh, Andrea Middleton. She knew me because I had been organizing the WordCamps here and from my blog posts and my activity in general in the WordPress community. She said, you know, we want more women, we want more diversity, and I think you'd be a good speaker. And I was like, really? Okay, fine, I'll try. And I got accepted. Um, and that was a big step for me um, in terms of my position in the WordPress community. And it was amazing. I, the first one w was was good because the first lecture is uh, first. So I had experience speaking in Israel. Like it oh, wasn't okay. my first speaking engagement. I had already spoken at quite a lot of conferences here, but it was my first. I think it was it was my first international speaking conference, like speaking opportunity. It was great to meet people in real life, like that I had been in touch with online. I learned how face to face. There's nothing that replaces that. It's the only way to create, like in my opinion, or at least it's the best way to create like a real relationship with someone. Yeah. So that was awesome. Um, and then I didn't go to the next one. And then I went to, I spoke at Paris. And then I spoke in Serbia. I was there in Paris. It was a great lecture. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really good lecture. Thank you. Um, and then I'm now at the point where my youngest is six. So traveling to the States, while it's still challenging and complicated, it's not like I can just be like, bye, everyone. It's demands logistics. I applied and I got accepted, which was really exciting for me. Um, so yeah, it was my first time going there and it was really great. Do you have any tips for uh, our listeners who are about to give a lecture? Yes, I do. <laughs> you have to start somewhere. Um, it's the only way to learn how to speak. 
I remember the, my first speaking engagement, which was in front of like 10 people. And I was so nervous that my voice shook when I was speaking. And I read from a paper. Like it was the worst, <laughs> the worst possible thing. But um, yeah, I did it and I did it again and I did it again. And it wasn't, even like two years ago, I still would get on the stage and my body would feel nervous. Like I would like, you couldn't see it or hear it, but I would be shaking. It took that long for me to get over my, I guess it's a stage fright. Now, thank God, I get on a stage and I'm like totally fine. It's like talking to friends, whatever. You know, that's how I see it. It's I just like have a talk a show now. <laughs> yeah, it's just like eh, this, that, and the other. This is, you know, and I, I have a presentation, so that guides me through it. Um, but like you have to start somewhere and I highly recommend um, starting. It's a really good skill. I have to say that I think your journey has a unique point in it. I don't know if it's a, a, um, a choice or something that just happened, but most people in the, I would say, in the marketing or WordPress field that are also good speakers, they have a route. You know, they run the course. They have this uh, website where they uh, offer keynote speakers. And you went to a different route creating a, a product, actually. So... It's also a good way to, 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 to talk about your, your product. And so was this a conscious choice? Was this something that just happened? Because it's not the, 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 tr the road, uh, you know, most traveled, I would say. So I don't understand. What is the road most traveled? Like, you know, uh, uh, the, the uh, speaker persona of they have a, an online course. They have these workshops. Uh. They have this, uh, their coaching. I don't know. This kind of uh, So that's speaking for the sake of speaking. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. Yeah, as that's what you're saying. Yes. So learn how I create. I got a million dollars from uh, here's my, my Ferrari and uh, yeah, buy my buy my course. Help me make money by me teaching you how to make money. So you're you know like it's like yeah yeah exactly exactly. Of, yeah. Um, no, that never interested me at <laughs> all. Oh my gosh, it seems too snake oil salesman-y. You could have done it. I have to say, you have the persona. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could, but um. Maybe I missed an opportunity, but I, I could never be passionate about that. Yeah. I have what, Whatever I'm doing, I have to be excited about it and believe in it um, like a thousand percent because it's so easy to quit and it's so hard to keep going. You've got to be so excited about what you're doing in order to get up every morning and do what you got to do and also eat a lot of crap. <laughs> like that's yeah. part of the job. Definitely. Right? And so if like I would never be excited about that. I'd be like, bye, bye, course. No, no. So for me, it's more... Um, to, you know, just give me an opportunity to connect with more people. Um, I like to teach, but not in the course and, um, just to share my knowledge. So I like that. And yeah, uh, it's. So how did, um, Stratic come, come to be? Why did you choose this, this, uh, this specific, uh, solution? Why do you think this is the thing? So throughout the years of working at Illuminea and on web development, I had many ideas for products. But I knew that because of my personal situation and running a business that demanded all my time, I couldn't possibly invest the needed attention on anything else. But I always kind of knew that I wanted to veer away from a services-based business into a product at some point. I didn't know when or how. It just was always something in my mind. Um, Stratic uh, was conceived in my mind based on my experience at Illuminaire. So um, it definitely had a huge impact on, on this concept. And What was the problem that you, you were seeing? 
So we had started to offer like a maintenance type of uh, retainer to clients to keep their sites alive and well. Because at first when we built the websites, they were fine. We'd be like, here's your site. And that was it. Then they start to get hacked. As WordPress grew, it got more attention from hacker bots and people weren't updating their sites as they should. And that became a problem. So we started to offer this, this service for that. The other problem that we started to see that became more and more painful was the slowness of websites. Websites started to have more happening, right? When I started, it was basically like this, like simple HTML, CSS. There wasn't even JavaScript. And then JavaScript started to appear and websites became more dynamic and interactive, but also heavier and images. And as the internet became faster, people threw more on their website and it just, it became a really big pain point. Um, even though I wasn't hands-on, I was always staying on top of, you know, the industry and, and technology. I became interested in static site generators um, because these pain points were becoming worse and worse and static site generators seemed to be like a magic answer to all of that. When a site has no underlying database and no underlying processing server, of course it's going to be like as secure as possible and very difficult to hack and fast because it's not querying the database and all that slowness is gone. But Static site generators are not easy to use. One of the reasons that WordPress has grown to where it is is because you can install it really quickly and easily, basically in one click, and anyone can manage it. Um, it's become clunkier, but like it, it, there's difficult things there, but still anyone can manage it. And a lot of marketers know how to use it. And it's just, it's a great tool for, for many things. So then I thought, okay, why not bring these two worlds together and create a static, like turn WordPress in a way into a static site generator. And then you've got the best of both worlds. You can continue to manage your site as you're used to, have all the benefits of WordPress, which includes the tools, the plugins, the community, the open source nature. But the output is like the best website that you could have. That's how I start to think of the idea. And what's the difference between this and the solutions like AMP and, uh, you know, Google's AMP and... and... So... AMP means in many ways you need to recode your site uh, to make it mobile compatible and Google's even now pushing for desktop to be AMP. And also, in my opinion, that is not the open web or at least the way I see the open web because it's Google's format um, and it's very limiting. And yeah, I, and oh, the caching that Google does to pages, I think it's so problematic. So we don't own our content anymore. It's all being yeah. served up through Google servers. I, I have a lot of problems with AMP. I think people should be able to build websites as they want to, as they have been, more or less. And yeah, our goal is to make the sites as fast as AMP. So, because Google says, it's not that you have to use AMP, it's that your sites should be as fast as an AMP site. So we are going to make our sites as fast as an AMP site, and then Google has no excuse. They will have to put these sites in the carousel and give it the same rankings. But already we see huge speed improvements on our sites, like some of them up to 16 times faster. We got one site down from over four second page load to 367 milliseconds, like crazy, without changing one thing. Um, so yeah, uh, I think this enables people to keep doing what they're doing, not have to give in to the lords of Google and get good results. Um, you were part of uh, nine startups to reach uh, New York conference? Oh, that's or? right, yeah, yeah. Can we're you tell 10. us about that? That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Founding a startup in Israel is great because there's a lot of resources. Um, 
it's hard to always know about them, but um, and particularly in Jerusalem. So we're a Jerusalem-based startup, which is a rare thing. Most of the tech communities here. Is it also challenging to be located in Jerusalem and not Tel Aviv? So it is in some ways because everything's happening here. And also there's kind of like a condescending point of view towards non-Tel Aviv startups. And people see the Jerusalem tech community as kind of like... Outskirts. Yeah, and like second rate or 10th rate. It's not even... So, but on the other hand... Instead of being a small fish in a big pond, which is Tel Aviv, you're a big fish in a small pond in Jerusalem. So it's still small that, I mean, we know everybody, including key people. And that's how we ended up being able to fly to New York for this conference. There's a department of the Jerusalem municipality called JNext. And the whole point of that department is to support the innovation um, economy in, in Jerusalem. And of course I know key people there. <laughs> and uh, when this opportunity came up to send, they decided to send a delegation to fund a delegation of startups. Jerusalem startups go to this tech conference so that Jerusalem would also have the opportunity to be represented. We were selected and so we could go, which was amazing. It's, it was an amazing mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, the conference itself gave us some opportunities, but not amazing, but one of our investors set up a whole bunch of meetings with other investors while we were there. And We, you know, that was just an amazing opportunity to go there. We still hadn't raised as much, well, obviously, as much as we'd raised by now. And being able to not have to, like, cover the cost of going was huge for us. And yeah. it gave us a way to go to the States and just get our foot in the door there a little bit. So so that was amazing. So now Stratic is basically your main focus? Yeah. Basically, when I started working on Stratic, I was... Let's say it started 100% Illuminaea, 0% Stratic, even, like, and it was just on the idea level. And then as time went on, it, my time on Illuminaea went down and my time on Stratic went up until the point where I saw I had to basically stop working on Illuminaea because building anything really demands like your full attention. I couldn't do two things. Yeah. I needed to give Stratic my full attention. So, so that's when this Canadian agency came into the picture and started to take over and it... it In terms of timing, that worked out really well, thank God. So, uh, final words about uh, where you, what are the things you're working on now in Stratic, where, where it's, uh, what's it, uh, its position, and uh, how can people like, follow you and uh, connect with you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, we're talking about networking. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we already saw that you're very much connected to your social media channels. Yes. Right when you enter the studio. Yeah, I made sure to take a picture of us and post it to the show. <laughs> yeah, now it's, it's a must today. It is yeah. a must. Um, it didn't happen if there's not. Exactly. <laughs> if you didn't post it, it didn't happen. No, p- p- what is it? Pick or it didn't happen. So I'm on all the socials. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Facebook is where I'm most active, I would say. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, but whatever. I don't know. I'm not a fan of LinkedIn. Um, I really you follow should... your kids on social or also well <laughs> it depends like one of my kids actually blocked me Block. <laughs> <laughs> I did she... it to my mother she's not listening she was like she didn't want me leaving embarrassing comments and my son lets me follow him but there were rules like I can't like everything and yeah. I can't oh, yeah. be like go you you know what the frequency of uh, <laughs> yeah, I can observe so uh yeah um yeah I, I want to use Instagram stories more. Whenever I do post there, and I did post our picture, by the way, we'll see, I get a lot of engagement. People are really into Instagram stories. But then, yeah. uh, on the other hand, although I'm out there a lot, sometimes I feel too narcissistic. Like, 
okay, do you really want to see another picture of me? Like, or me, hear me there? Like, ugh. I, even, I get sick of it. So so that's why I'm having to, I, I was actually pretty active on Snapchat when it was like a thing. Um, and that was great. Like I built up like a community there and then it became annoying. But um, Instagram stories is the new version of that. So anyways, so yeah, you can find me just if you search for Miriam Schwab, like you can find me anywhere. Um, and in terms of Stratic where it's at, so now we're in the process of opening up our beta. We've been in closed beta. People are signing up to be beta testers every day, which is great um, that they're finding us and that they're interested. So thank you to people who have signed up. And if anyone else wants to sign up, please do. Stratic with a double T in the middle dot com. And the audience is mostly uh, medium and, and, and large companies? So it's companies, organizations that have websites that matter to them, which is like a funny way of defining it. But it's like, are you, it's, these are the people who are coming to us, and it's actually very similar to the companies we worked with at Luminea. You know, they're generating leads, they care, they don't want their site being defaced or going down. We have um, cyber clients who are on Stratic because they cannot afford to be hacked even for one second, mm. or even vulnerable. They can't afford that someone would run a quick scan and be like, oh, you're running an outdated version of something. So. With Stratic, there is none of that. Like, it doesn't. If even if it's stuff is outdated, it doesn't matter. So, um, so like we have that type of client also. So the next step could be maybe government. Uh, yeah. Websites. So oh, government websites. Well, Israeli government websites are like the worst. And recently, a whole bunch like of municipality sites were hacked. Um, so every time I see that, I'm like, okay, we really should <laughs> Good be getting business involved for you. there <laughs> because they clearly can't manage their websites. Uh, but we're not there yet. You know, it was like we're starting with. Uh, business sites that have a blog, uh, you know, not not like huge blogs and things like that. Cool. I think it's 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 great. Uh, you're it's also a fight against terrorism, which is uh, good. <laughs> so yeah, it makes you know, uh, cyber hackers, terrorism totally. It makes hackers' lives much more difficult because now they just have to send out these bots and they just find vulnerability and they hack. If you did, if you if it took you a day to update your plugin for that day, you're you're vulnerable and you could get hacked. That's just how it is. With us, there's nothing to hack. This, so, take that, terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Miriam. So thank you very much for joining us. And until next time, I'm Ben. I'm Otan. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.